You're listening to the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast with Joris Brion. Hey, this is Joris of the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast. And today I'm really excited to talk to Mathias Lacour. Mathias um, is a business strategist and he's one of the founders of Boss Data. And, and that's a digital business and marketing agency based in Belgium. Um, they're a true omni-channel specialist. And today we're mainly going to be talking about Ropo. And if you don't know what that is, uh, keep listening. I'm sure this is going to be a very interesting episode. Mathias, welcome to the podcast. Super happy to have you here. Hi, yeah, thank you. It's uh, very nice to be uh, part of your podcast. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to have a fellow Belgian on the podcast because uh, typically we speak with a lot of um, American I can and, uh, yeah, and people from the UK, but uh, fellow Belgian. That's great. Um, yeah, maybe just to start off, I, I'd love for you to tell everybody a bit more about your background. Where did you come from in your career and how did you end up uh, on, on this point? All right. Uh, then I'll first off uh, start with a little correction. I am Dutch, but I live in Belgium. Oh, yeah, so that's you're, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Quick overview of uh, yeah what I've been doing and uh, where we are now. So I started off straight out of school, started off at a, a digital marketing firm in uh, Breda in the, in the south of uh, the Netherlands. They were focused already on what we call performance marketing but far less on yeah, what I would see as uh, the business consultancy side. And uh, I think that's the major, major change since I started off on my own together with a partner in Belgium and we founded uh, Postdata. Is that at, from the get-go, we started off as a agency firm, which by accident, let's say, is uh, highly specialized in uh, performance marketing, like what, what can you do with Google and what can you do with Facebook and uh, stuff like that. But for us, it was a secondary thing. It wasn't our main uh, thing that we sell. It's not our main service that we sell. Uh, we sell uh, the strategy consultancy, and then uh, we have the tactics, let's say, uh, to implement it, uh, which is called Facebook ads, Google ads, uh, etc. So that's a bit uh, on the background we have. All right. Yeah. So uh, you're not really like any other, well, a digital marketing agency. Uh, it's more like on, on the business end of things as well. You're more in strategic level involved with your clients. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. At least that's what we uh, uh, praise ourselves to be. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it's of course, for others to uh, determine. But uh, what we often see, let's say, in digital marketing, and if uh, if a company broadens out in, in the sense of services that they provide, we often see that, let's say, a digital marketing firm also starts doing, uh, let's say, more uh, traditional forms of marketing, as in the sense of uh, what are we going to do with printing ads or TV ads or something like that. Uh, we very specifically said we not want to move that, uh, into that direction, like a horizontal uh, way. We want to move up uh, vertically and impact other key factors within an organization that determine the success or failure of a campaign. To give an, uh, an example, we yeah, we went back to, let's say, the very traditional sense of uh, what we got at school, the Kotler four piece of marketing. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, so if pricing and product and promotion uh, and place, which is in this case, let's say website, is not on par uh, is not, let's say, synchronized in a, in a proper way. We can build the best Google Ads campaign in the world, but still it won't work. Uh, so we started specializing on how can we impact all these other uh, key factors, uh, for example, pricing, uh, assortment, uh, etc., and how can we uh, use 
strategies to our advantage within digital. And I think that's, um, uh, yeah, some of the, the biggest changes that we, uh, we've done. Yeah, that's a totally different position than uh, the most other uh, digital agencies who, as you say, um, mm-hmm. uh, go vertically instead of uh, horizontally. And I think that makes a lot of sense because you can have a lot more impact on a business if you are involved in those strategic decisions about uh, pricing, for instance, um, as well. Uh, before we, yeah. we talk a bit about uh, Omnichannel and Ropo, uh, one other thing I wanted to touch upon is um, about your company, is uh, your company col- culture. Um, I know that's super important to you and you pay a lot of attention to it. Can you tell us a bit more about your company culture? My personal desire, uh, let's say, was also to always have a very entrepreneurial uh, mindset within a company. And uh, where I worked before, they had this term like you're entrepreneur, so you can be entrepreneurial within an organization and stuff like that. But when you looked at reality, it, it wasn't so. And so for me, as, an, as if you're an entrepreneur, you have, let's say, a very open view on all aspects within the organization. So it's not only about what my clients do when I'm within the organization, but I can also have a view on, okay, what other costs are there within an organization? For example, wages, uh, how much does it cost to rent the, com- uh, the building to, if we want to remodel it, how much did that, did that cost, stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. We decided from the start that everybody had access to everything. So everybody has access to the entire cash flow, for example, of what we do, how much a client pays, if a client pays badly or uh, very well or stuff like that. And we don't, let's say, obscure any uh, information within the organization for the reason that you can only be as entrepreneurial or you can only be an entrepreneur, in my, in my point of view, if you know, if you have all the cards. And Mm -hmm. that you know what's going on uh, within the company. And it goes pretty far that, let's say, for every what we call big decision or major decision, everybody can uh, put in a vote. And uh, it doesn't matter if you've been working at Bulls Data for years or if you're the owner or if you just started on your first day. If we have a topic which we need to decide on uh, all of us and it impacts all of us, then um, uh, any vote of anybody counts just as much. So we really try to push people towards taking, yeah, forming an opinion, uh, making a decision, knowing why we are doing certain things in a certain way, to have a very open view on things that we've been doing in a certain way until now doesn't mean it's right. So we can we have to be able to adapt and constantly change and be very, let's say, skeptical about oh, we're going to build this campaign in this, this, this way. And why? Because we've been doing it forever already in this, within this way that we are constantly looking back and say, okay, but this is still the best way. Is this still the best way? Another aspect, which I think is, it's a very big change for a lot of clients we work for as well, is um, we're a consultancy agency, let's say, in uh, in the broader sense, uh, but we do not sell hours. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we, we say to a client, uh, we do not uh, um, track hours so we can't report on hours, so we can't sell you hours. We don't want to sell you any hours. We say to our clients, okay, we want to go from A to B. This is what we think that needs to be done. And if we get you there, uh, or uh, to get you there, it will cost you X amount um, per month uh, to get you there. And and that's it. And mm. uh, we just start working. Yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, um, special in, in Belgium. I know most agencies uh, just 
yeah, bill by the hour. So that's uh, that already is is a pretty bold move. But I think the whole extreme transparency that's uh, that's very bold. I don't know um, many companies who actually do that. Are there any the downsides to that? Is it has it been always easy uh, to maintain that kind of transparency? Mm-hmm. There aren't, I think, that many companies, but uh, we didn't invent this system on our own. Uh, there are other companies which we talk to, to let's say, to get their experiences and etc. Only I think we are like very extreme at it. Um, mm-hmm. One downside we had, uh, for example, was a big, big learn learning for us as an organization and for me personally is from the start we had open wages so everybody knew what i made for example and if i wanted the race then i had to defend it just against the group and say okay i've been doing this and i got more responsibilities and we've grown from a to b and uh, therefore i think I'd, i deserve it basically mm-hmm. uh, so we had open wages everybody had the same uh, not the same wage but everybody could look at each other's wages the problem there yeah it's quite a long story but uh, what we see is that wages are constantly uh, so for somebody who has been here for, for a very long time, or for somebody who has who adds a lot of value compared to somebody who adds less value, the difference in wage doesn't represent it. Mm-hmm. So what you get is that wages like kind of flatten out, uh, which is not the reality for an organization. The reality for an organization is you have a group of people who do a very good job. You have a group, and you have a very few people within the organization who do a extremely uh, good job and have an extreme high impact. And you want to wage accordingly, uh, according to that, let's say, uh, curve. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with wage transparency is that it's very difficult to defend. Why? Because you're constantly defending the fact that oh yeah, yeah, but this person earns more, and you're constantly focusing on let's say the the not so good or the bad thing somebody else does. So yeah, but right. it earns more because you did this, this, and this, and that. So you're constantly in the why people make what they make instead mm-hmm. of saying, okay, but your growth path is ABC and you have obtained it, yes or no. So yeah, that's a big learning for us that mm-hmm. uh, what we now have is full transparency on all financial data, except for wages. We look at the total number they can look at my wage and Thomas's wage, which they know mm-hmm. uh, specifically because we are willing to open to share it openly. But they know don't know uh, between each other what the wages are. If somebody wants a raise, though, they still need to defend the fact that they get it, yes or no, not the height, but the fact that they get it uh, between uh, themselves. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, by the way, for people who don't know Thomas that you mentioned before, that's uh, your business partner, right? Okay. All right, cool. Uh, so I, I mentioned in the introduction that we'd be talking about Omnichannel and Ropo. Uh, so um, first of all, what is Ropo and what's the difference between Ropo and Omnichannel? Ropo, let's say, is a subject within Omnichannel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Omnichannel says, okay, people go to your online, offline store via various ways of, let's say, channels, both online and offline, and it goes cross vice versa, I don't know, all kinds of, uh, let's say, spaghetti to go and to uh, make a transaction or a conversion or whatever uh, you're aiming for. Uh, and uh, Robo is a, a specific subset of it or subject of it, and it's uh, people that research online, RO, and purchase offline. So what's the effect, mm-hmm. basically, of what you're doing online on your 
offline physical network of stores or offices or stuff like that. That's okay. what Ropo uh, is. Mm -hmm. I can imagine this is, a, is, is really important, yeah. right? To, to really master this uh, and, and, and understand what's happening online that has an impact offline. Um, yeah. How, how, how do you get started? How, how do you start measuring? How do you implement it? Yeah. Okay. So to start off, let's say the importance of Robo is it's it's huge. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's it's it has an enormous impact on uh, retailers, and they don't really acknowledge it in the way that they should. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so um, currently, you have both in Google Ads, in uh, Google Analytics, or Facebook Ads. You can measure how many people go to a website and then end up in a store. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm I'm betting that some of the listeners already do this and say, yeah, but it's already, I know and uh, whatever. That's not the main challenge for Robo. So for Robo, the main challenge is not the measurement itself, uh, mm -hmm. but it's the organizational change uh, towards looking at goals and targets and the way that you manage and steer campaigns into a certain direction. To start off, what we, 9 out of 10, or 10 out of 10, what we see is that companies say, yeah, we're omnichannel, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, they are not omnichannel at all in the sense of if you look at, for example, goals, uh, KPIs, goals and targets, etc., you see that a e-commerce team or a digital marketing team within organizations, 9 out of 10 have a online revenue target or an online profit target. Mm -hmm. And uh, they get forced and to neglect, for uh, to put it in, uh, in extreme words, uh, they get forced to neglect the fact that a lot of people and even most of the people that go to the website do not even end up uh, online, uh, buying online, but end up in a physical store uh, to make a purchase. Um, so it's very, very important for a company that if you have an online an omnichannel ambition or an om, omnichannel reality uh, for uh, in most cases that the first thing you do before you start talking about implementing measuring robo and etc you need to be able to set targets in an omnichannel world so you need to be able to say okay if i spend x amount online then there has to be it has to generate revenue and it can come omnichannel so both online revenue and offline revenue we can accredit to the fact that we make it uh, spend X amount of media or uh, etc. Right. So that's the first yeah. step. Is as an organization, you need to change. Yeah. So basically, um, what you're saying is that the digital teams they have a KPI that is maybe just online, and that's not in best interest of the company as a whole. Because if the digital team also yeah. has the offline KPIs, uh, then that is in the best interest of the company. Because if they ignore those offline KPIs. Uh, they may, the company as a whole may be losing out on revenue. Yeah, and it, it's even. I think it's very often it's even worse. Quite often we see that for retailers, that let's say the online channel, as they say, is not performing very well. So if they look at mm -hmm. what they put in and what they get out in the sense of X amount on, for example, Google Ads, and then we look at the revenue that's being generated in the on the on the website. Then they say, yeah, but it doesn't work that well. It's not profitable and et cetera. While in reality, they generate X amount of revenue online and they generate X amount of revenue via online 
offline. Right. And, yeah. um, and it's a major change in the way you look at profitability of digital. Mm -hmm. But what are some good KPIs to measure then? Let's say two years ago, we, yeah, we had a very pragmatic approach towards it. Uh, we literally did exit research in uh, physical stores. Mm -hmm. So when somebody uh, bought something in a physical store, we would ask this person, uh, ma'am, uh, can I ask you a question? Uh, did you go to the website before you made this purchase? And uh, since we have Google Analytics or another analytics uh, uh, suite, we know how people go to the website and we can say, okay, X amount of revenue offline is accredited to the online channels okay. or online spend. Uh, these days, luckily, uh, technology has evolved quite uh, rapidly and both Google and uh, Facebook have what they call a store visit or a store, uh, yeah, store visit metric. Mm -hmm. uh, so Google and Facebook measure how many people go to your physical store based on their technology. Mm -hmm. um, how accurate is that, in your opinion? I think it's um, the end, the answer is twofold. First of all, it's by far the most accurate, the cheapest, uh, because it's free information you'll get. Mm -hmm. you know? So. Uh, there is not another company in this world, except for Google and Facebook, that have this user information on a, such a vast scale that they can determine very accurately how many people go to a physical store, uh, yes or no. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, it doesn't have to be 100% accurate. What you need is uh, a, a close to accurate or a far more accurate estimation or a number than you have now, because currently you're not taking it into consideration and even if it's let's say 10 percent off you'll start measuring a lot more than you're measuring now yeah? right mm -hmm. um in our personal experience if google says it's 1200 people that went to your physical store in the last let's say x amount uh, of days or months or whatever then uh, the actual number is not far off mm -hmm. and it, it's better than having nothing of course um and 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 if you take one month as, as the starting point and you see the evolution, I think that's probably more important than yeah, getting exactly. hung up exactly. on, on too much on the exact number uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, how, maybe to elaborate sorry. a little more is mm -hmm. um, because sometimes clients ask us the same question in the sense of, yeah, but do we trust this number or, yeah, but we're a very specific company. It's a bit different than, let's say, mm -hmm. the average. Uh, so uh, for us, it's different, basically. Uh, first of all, I think it's a bit of, uh, to be honest, a bit of vanity. Uh, most companies are not that different. But still, let's say mm -hmm. you think it's different. Uh, I will still implore you to do an exit research. So just uh, do a research at the uh, CAS uh, register and ask people, did you go to the website before you made this purchase? Yes or no. And then you can see if the number that Google says or Facebook says is accurate with the number that you have. And then you have a benchmark uh, to go on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so have, when people want to get started with this, um, where do they get, do, do they have to get started? How do they Im implement this Ropo, uh, philosophy and, and, and framework or uh, KPIs or whatnot, whatever you want to call it, what's yeah. the best place to start? I think the best place to start is you have to talk to the person who is in charge of setting the targets and the goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, so let's say it's finance size, uh, that decides, okay. Pay what for uh, uh, for the next year or the coming uh, whatever, 
and you have to ask this uh, man or a woman one question and say a thousand euros or a thousand dollars in digital marketing. Uh, uh, how much generate? How much revenue does it need to generate? Uh, and mm-hmm. they will come up with a number saying, okay, if we invest a thousand, then we need to gain, let's say, X amount uh, on the other side. Uh, and then you should ask, do you care if this is this revenue is generated online or offline? Uh, nine out of ten. This financial-driven person would say, I would rather have it offline than online. Why? Nine out of 10, you have less uh, returns, you have a higher margin for products which you sell offline and online. But nonetheless, they will say, no, okay, yeah, rather online, offline, but I don't really care as long as it's there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll say, okay, for me, the target is I'm gonna spend X amount online, and then we're going to ge- generate revenue on the other side, and it can generate and originate from both online or offline. And you have to ask the uh, the the person who is in charge of setting the targets to not give you a e-commerce target, but to give you an omni-channel target, mm-hmm. uh, so that they understand, as an organization, that they understand that uh, uh, that the digital marketeer with digital campaigns can generate revenue both online and offline. Uh, mm-hmm. The second phase is. Okay, you need to be able to measure this impact. Uh, if you do a Google campaign, do we see more people going to a store, yes or no? Uh, mm-hmm. Nine out of 10, if you have physical stores, you ha- already have access uh, to store visit data from Google. Uh, the only thing is, you need to be able to, let's say, analyze this properly. Um, and to explain this, let's say, on a podcast, when you analyze it properly, is a bit difficult. Uh, but in essence, it comes down to you need to value a store visit. So the value of a store visit is something you need to determine. And it's a quite an easy formula, let's say, in, the, in, the, in, the, in a very basic way is, okay, so if one, how many people do you need in a physical store for one transaction? So let's say if somebody goes to a store, 9 out of 10 people buy, the average order value in a physical store is X. So you know that one store visit is valued at uh, Y. Okay. Um, so then you have a value for store visits, you have a value for e-commerce, and then you can combine uh, the two and say, okay, I need to print, generate more revenue or more value. Okay, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. What, what you just said as well was that most of the, your clients will say like, okay, if I have to choose between an offline purchase and an online purchase, in most of the cases, they will uh, prefer an offline uh, purchase because usually um, people are going to spend a bit more or are less price sensitive. But how? Yeah. What are what are some good ways to convert to your online traffic into well uh, in store traffic, foot traffic? So what we so let's say for retailers which we have very often we say okay we're going to focus less on driving more e-commerce revenue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Because are the objective is to generate more revenue or more profit, right? So it's not per se e-commerce revenue, it's to right. generate more profit. Now, nine out of 10, profitability for e-commerce is far lower than profitability within, let's say, more cl- classic retail channels. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look at a website and say, okay, you need to work towards conversion. And to, for us, the conversion is buy online or, and maybe best, is to buy offline. So what we do is we say, okay, what are the things that we can do to make sure that people end up in a physical store? So for us, uh, for example, 
store locator. So where does this, where is the fit, the clo closest store is a very important uh, page or a tool within uh, in a website, uh, which you should push far aggressive, more aggressively on product pages, category pages, etc., to show hey, the, the, you're looking at these kind of products, and your closest store is there, there, and there. Mm -hmm. uh, other things that we, for example, find very important is to provide stock levels. So uh, you can buy this product. We still have two in stock there, three in stock there, one in stock, and we have no stock there. Uh, so that people say, okay, I, I can I can just pick it up. Uh, In-store re reservations, same kind of thing. Uh, because very often we see that people are far more likely to buy offline than they are still to buy online. Mm -hmm. um, and it depends on market vertical. It's definitely true. But very often we see uh, that for most verticals, it's still uh, that most people buy in a physical store instead of e-commerce. Okay, yeah, uh, that's a, that, that's really interesting. I, I guess like stuff like uh, free returns in store that also helps to get people uh, to the store. But obviously, they've already yeah. purchased and and online, yeah. but yeah, you or, can get them back or to the store. very specific uh, incentives. Uh, you can, uh, I, I would have no objection saying to her. To a customer or potential customer saying, "Hey, uh, I can ship it to you, and then it's this price. But if you pick it up in the physical store, then it's this price, mm -hmm. because you have costs which you don't have to do anymore. So, or you can give many more incentives towards people to to push them towards a, a physical visit. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Um, hey, Matthias, this uh, has been very, very interesting, and we could probably go on for uh, for a few more hours, but uh, we're running out of time. And um, I want to make sure that people know how they can find you and learn more about you. Um, yeah, what's the best place uh, for people to find you and connect with you? Well, we, we write quite a, a lot uh, since recently, actually. So uh, we have uh, very extensive cases on how we approach Ropo, but also, for example, on loyalty, because... Yeah, uh, Ropo schemes to get people within uh, to visit the, the physical store. It's closely connected to the way you look at uh, loyalty and marketing uh, uh, tactics within loyalty. Uh, so we write quite a lot of, uh, about it. So you can find it on our website on resources. Uh, other than that, yeah, the, the usual suspects like uh, active on LinkedIn and you can just give me a call. You can find my uh, contact details uh, on the website. All right, and uh, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Um, thank you so much for being here, Matthias. It's been absolutely great. More than a pleasure. The E-Commerce Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Dexter.Agency. We help e-commerce business owners scientifically increase revenue without needing more traffic. Ready to discover a more reliable way to increase conversion and, more importantly, revenue? Register for our free training, The 5 Transformations That Double E-Commerce Profits, at dexter.agency slash webinar.